We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. Last week, we read about the Pharisee Saul, who was leaving Jerusalem. He was going up to Damascus. He was going to go arrest believers and bring them back to Jerusalem. And then he was going uh, to put them on trial and most likely put them to death because he believed that they were blaspheming the um, belief that he had Judaism. He believed that God considered Christianity a blasphemy and that it, they were worthy of death. So in doing this, he wasn't, he didn't think he was doing something wrong. He thought he was doing something good. He thought he was being righteous. He thought the Lord was going to pat him on the back for doing what he was doing. And so I can see how he would have that idea because that's the religion, the religious system that the Sadducees, Pharisees, the, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, this is what they all believed. And, and they continued to build on that concept. They, they continued to write, and, and the more they wrote, the more they believed. This is kind of the same as our scientists today. We have a bunch of scientists that tell us that the earth and the world is, you know, 4 billion years old. The earth is 400 million years old and, and all of this. And how, who did they get their info from? Where is the evidence for this? Science is the study of facts. And there is no evidence for what they're saying, but they come up with a lot of, you know, Cool stuff. And they all agree with each other. Okay, I think this is what happened. Oh, that's really cool. Great idea. And now all of science, you go to school nowadays and kids are taught evolution as a fact, not as a theory. And so the same way with religious systems, you get enough people agreeing with each other and a religious system becomes valid based on the fact that well, it has to be valid. Everyone's agreeing with this. Well, Judaism was the same way. They took what God had put in place and then they put their layer of religiosity over it. And Saul was one of the leaders. He knew everything that there was to know about their religious system. He was a Pharisee, so he was a teacher. He was probably one of the Sanhedrin, meaning he was a leader over the whole organization. There were 70 of these Sanhedrin that were the council that met to make decisions. They were the ones that put Jesus to death. And so he was one of those people completely committed to what he was doing. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he realizes that everything he believed was wrong. Everything he thought about Jesus was wrong. See, he thought Jesus died on the cross. And here Jesus was talking to him. And so it changed everything he believed. And after his conversion, he went 
to the very Christians that he was going to arrest, to bring back, to put to death, he goes and hangs out with them. So he was learning from them at the same time he learned from Jesus. And now he is ready to become a Christian or to actually go into ministry for Jesus instead of for himself. Now he's not just going to be a religious person. He's going to be a Christian living a Christian example, a testimony. And that's only because he was Saul, right? Wrong. Every Christian, everyone who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ has that same opportunity. Live for Christ. That's how we're all supposed to live. That's how we're all supposed to act so that the world can see Jesus. Saul was a great example of what Jesus can do in someone's life when they commit their life to him. Today's message is titled, The New Saul. We continue our study in Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 20, where we read, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he may bring them bound to the chief priests? So the key word there, immediately. Immediately he became a believer and immediately he started preaching Christ. I know for me, when I became a believer, when the gospel was shared with me, I didn't immediately believe. I was alone. And I prayed. And I said, well, if everything I heard was true, show me. Prove. Prove it to me. And, you know, but I didn't, wasn't doing it in such a way, you know, I, I want proof. You know, I, I, where's the fleece? I, I want some evidence. That wasn't how I was acting. I was... I was being honest. My heart was open to whatever God wanted to say to me. And so when I, I said, show me, he did. He opened, it was as if he sat there on the edge of my bed and read me the entire Bible and I believed in that moment. Now, I didn't understand the entire Bible, but I believed that he is who he said he is. And so... Now I can live for him. I can trust him. And that's what I was hoping for. Um, I was hoping for answers. I was lost. Saul was really thinking he had all the answers. But God was going to do a work in his life. Because of his position as a Pharisee, he would have had an audience to hear him. So can you imagine, here he is going to the synagogue so that he can arrest the Christians that were in the synagogues. They were joining with the others in the synagogues. And he was going to arrest them. And instead, he's there now in the synagogues teaching them, preaching to them. And the other people, the other um, uh, people that were in the synagogue, these were... Jude, uh, Jews that were committed to Judaism. 
So here you have the Jews and you have the Christians that are sitting in the same synagogue. The Jews that thought Paul was on their side, you know, Paul's one of us. He's going to come here and get rid of these people. They've been coming in here saying these weird things about Jesus. And he's going to get rid of them. And now all of a sudden Paul comes in there and says, no, he's the Christ. He's the son of God. They're like, what? What is going? Can you imagine? You see, we look at people in high places in our world today. And we think, you know, they are so out of touch with reality. They're out of touch with who God is. You know, they're in our, our government offices. They're in our local, state, and federal governments. And, and they're all out of touch with who the Lord is, who Jesus is. Can you imagine if the highest executive in our land all of a sudden became a Christian? And then instead of wanting to, um, you know, keep the right to choose. Instead, he got up there and said, you know what? We need to protect the unborn. We need to protect them. Uh, that would blow people away, right? He would be ostracized from his own party. It would change the landscape of everything that's going on. I, I don't think that's going to happen today. But if it did, can you imagine the, the controversy that there would be out there? Well, the same thing was happening here. You see, Saul, there were 30 to 40 synagogues in Damascus. And he was going around to each of them preaching. He was telling them that Jesus was the Christ. And... I'm sure that there was a lot of controversy going on there. They couldn't understand how this man who was killing Christians one day is now on their side. What, what did they do to him? They brainwashed him. No, his mind was open and he received the truth. So I wonder what Saul was sharing with them. Because he hadn't been a Christian for very long. You know, what was he sharing with them? Well, you remember he's a Pharisee. So Pharisees had to understand the first five books of the Bible word perfect. They had to be able to repeat the first five books of the Bible at will. They, they knew it all and they could repeat it perfectly. That was a requirement for a Pharisee. And he was a Pharisee. So he had the knowledge, he just didn't have the understanding. He understood what the scriptures say, he didn't understand what they meant. And that's the problem with many Christians today. We have the word of God, but many Christians don't understand what the word of God says. As a matter of fact, when they don't understand or it doesn't fit their lifestyle, or it doesn't fit what they want to believe, they allegorize it. They change it. Oh, this, that doesn't mean that. It means this. We can just, you know, say that 
this is, that part isn't important. That's just an allegory. And, and it, it's a nice story. This is what it means. And then they give it a meaning. And so there are many Christians in our country that don't believe in the Bible. They believe what they're told by some authority that tells them this is what the Bible says. Instead of reading it for themselves and finding out that isn't what it says. You see, because if you read the Bible, the one thing that happens that they can't control is the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth to you. And then when that happens, it's like, hold on, that guy is saying that? But it doesn't match what I'm reading here. It doesn't match what I'm understanding. That's what was happening to Paul. Saul. He was understanding things that he never understood before. The scriptures became clear to him. If you read the scriptures and you don't understand, read them again. Read the passage again. Dwell on it a little bit. Pray about it. And then go about your business. Don't try to solve it. Go about your business. Because God may just bring a situation into your life at that moment that all of a sudden those scriptures come alive and become real. And you're like, that's what they mean. This has happened to me more times than I can even tell you. You know, those little booklet, Our Daily Bread that we hand out. And I read it every morning. Not because they are the greatest theology out there. and No, but because they're devotionals that people write based on their experience with God. And so sometimes I read those and it's like, God, you're speaking to me through someone else's experience with you. And not that I agree with every single thing, but I know when I read something and God is speaking to me, I know it. And I'm like, okay, that's a good word. That's something that I can take with me and chew on. So read those things and, and devotionals. I, I recommend devotionals. You know, Calvary Chapel pastors have a devotional. And um, we all, uh, not every Calvary Chapel pastor, but a lot of the Calvary Chapel pastors wrote a devotional. The guy out in Downey put it together. And great devotional. It has 366 different devotions in there. And you read them day by day. And it's from Calvary Chapel pastors. So you know they're like-minded when you, you read it. You know that you're, you know, getting... Uh, and if you want to buy, I'm, I'll order some. If you're interested in buying one, um, but I'd, I'll charge... Um, $10? $10. That's how much we'll sell them for. Just because I have to make the money back on them. I just can't hand them out. Um, okay, I, I sometimes do that. But if you don't have the $10, I'll give that to you free. So at this point, Paul, Saul, is leaving Damascus and he goes to Arabia. And, and we know that only because of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. In verse 11. 
we read, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. Saul didn't learn the gospel because of men, for I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? The revelation of Jesus Christ, that's how he got the gospel. That's still how we get it today. You see, you read the word of God, and God reveals the truth to you in the revelation of the gospel. Isn't that cool? We're still having that. Say, we have the same thing Saul has. We sometimes put people on a pedestal. Oh, that's Saul. He was so good. He was so great. No, he wasn't. He was a killer. He was a murderer. Okay, but the grace of God. For you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace... His grace is how he came into this relationship to reveal his son in me. You see, Saul was now the conduit of the son of God. He was able now to reveal who Jesus is through Saul's actions, through Saul's life. And now we get a picture of who Jesus is because of who Saul became, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So what happened there was he was in Damascus and then he went to Arabia, all the way to Arabia. Arabia was just outside of Damascus. So that whole area was Arabia. It wasn't Saudi Arabia. It was just every place that was outside of Damascus. So he may have been just outside of town, out in the, in the wilderness, hanging out there. And then he came back into uh, Damascus. And it's believed because of the things that Paul mentions that he met with Jesus out there in the wilderness and that he received more understanding because it was three years that he was going back and forth and that he was coming in and out of uh, Damascus at that time. So the Pharisees were this special group that was so tied to the law and Saul was now revealing grace. It was something so far outside of the law that it was blasphemous to the average Jew. This was something that couldn't be accepted. You know, what, what is this grace? People still don't like the idea of grace because you're not working for anything. You got to work for your salvation, right? Work out your own salvation. Come on, isn't that what it says? Yes, it is what 
the word of God says. But it's not that you're working for your salvation. It's because you have salvation that works will come out of your life. People will see the work of God in you and through you. And so people get hung up on the idea that we have to work to be saved. If you do, then Jesus didn't have to die. You just have to work a little harder to be saved, right? But that's not reality. The only way we can be saved is through Jesus Christ dying for us and us accepting that death for ourselves. But because we realize what it cost to be saved, because we understand that we couldn't do it ourselves, we are graciously working for him. We say, you know what I want to do? I want to give back. I want to give back to you, Lord. And so I'll do whatever you call me to do. That's what Saul was doing. He is a great example of that grace and the mercy of God on his life. Back in Acts chapter 9, verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving this, that this Jesus is the Christ. So he's there with the Jews in Damascus, proving, proving. You know, now, when people say you can't prove, he can prove. Because he is the evidence. You are the evidence of Jesus Christ. We are when we are converted, when we are changed into followers of Christ because of our confession of faith, not because of baptism. Baptism is another example of what we believe. Oh, I believe, I'm saved, and so I'm going to be baptized because I want to show the world what I believe. I'm going to be baptized. It's an outward expression of the inward change that was made within us. And then we can show the world this is what we believe. And then, you know, that's the easy part. Okay? Going underwater, coming back out, that's the easy part. Living it every day from then on is the hard part. That's the example that we set. That's where people actually meet Jesus Christ. Just like they did in the life of Saul, they do with us. They meet us and say, wow, you're different. 20 years ago, people that knew me back then, I was a Christian, I was a believer, uh, they would say, you know, you've changed over these 20 years. Well, besides becoming a pastor, I've changed. I have continue to put Christ on. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect. I, I don't hold me on a pedestal. I'm not there. I will never be there. Because if I'm on the pedestal, please knock it over. Okay? The only one that deserves to be on a pedestal is Jesus. And so, if you ever think I'm doing really good, compare me to Jesus. And... and then you could say, oh, the pastor is kind of flawed too. 
He's got an attitude. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So here's another picture of Jesus, right? The Jews plotted to kill him, just like they plotted to kill Jesus. You know, anything that comes against their religion, their beliefs, they need to put it to death. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. So here's Saul. He's out there preaching to the Jews in all of these different synagogues. And then they say, you know what, we've had enough of this. We're going to do something about it. And they start watching for him at the gates. They want to get him out of town and slay him, stone him out of town. But he knew that it was going to happen. So he had to do something. Galatians 1.18 tells us, three years after I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. This means that he had been in Damascus for three years, in and out, going into Arabia, back and forth to Damascus. Three years he was there in Damascus, and now things got... How long was Jesus' ministry? Three and a half years, right? So here's about the same amount of time. Here's Saul going through the same thing. And his world is now turned upside down. He's lowered out of a window. How embarrassing. He's a Pharisee. And he had to be lowered out of a window to escape his enemies. He was leading... Now, you know, when he was on his way and we're told that there were guys with him that saw the light, that heard the voice, but they didn't understand what was being said. We kind of picture like two or three guys with, with Saul at that time. I don't picture that. He was going to Damascus to arrest the believers up there. And there were 30 to 40 synagogues up there. If they're going to arrest 100 to 200 people that are in these synagogues, you're not going to do it with three guys. He had a large group with him going up there to Damascus. What happened to those guys? Where were they? And you see, the people that he was with there in Damascus, they weren't warriors. They weren't armed, except with the gospel. And so it's a completely different picture for him. You know, he can't just turn around to the guys and say, come on, grab your swords. Let's go chop up some of these Jews. It, it wasn't going to happen because they were the minority. And they were outclassed at this point when it came to battle. So the most he could do is run away. He became an effective instrument for God because he was humbled to the point of where he was in that day. Do you know that God is using your life also to reach the world around you? That 
no matter how much, maybe you don't get out much. Maybe you don't interact with many people. God is still using you to impact the lives of the few people that you do interact with, whether it's just the cashier at the store or, you know, maybe the person driving next to you on the freeway. There is a way that we can represent him, you know, even in our daily life, just to show. And Saul was doing that, but he was very loud about it. He shared his faith with everyone. And he was making up for the time when he was killing Christians. Now he's making up for it. You know, he just felt compelled to do that. I kind of feel that in my own life sometimes, that the Lord called me to do this because I'm making up for all the wasted time where I was living for myself where I was doing my own thing, where I was doing the wrong thing. And not that I have to work to earn anything. It was all given to me freely. It was a gift from God. But I believe now he gives me the opportunity to do things. You know, he opens up doors and says, hey, go do this. And it's like, oh, great. I want to do that, Lord. Sometimes I say, I don't want to do that, Lord, but he still sends me. And if I go, I'm good with that. Many people believe that their career is the most important thing on earth, their career and what they do. You know, I believe that for a long time also. Fortunately, I work for a Christian company, a Christian CEO, where He's more interested in the things of God and, and what we're doing for the Lord. The company is doing great. You know, we have great contracts and we're very blessed in all that we're doing as a company. But he is just as interested in the lives of his people and their relationship with the Lord. And so that makes it a blessing to work for an organization like that. You know, it, it just gives me more fodder. Go out there and do things and go because God is leading me in these new areas. Your career isn't who you are. It's what you do. That's what your career is. Who you are is a believer in Jesus Christ. And so what's more important, what you do or who you are? When you wake up, you, you shouldn't put what you do in front of who you are. You know, and I know for me, when I get up and I look in the mirror, I, oh, I'm still here. And, um, and I realize that sleeping overnight, you know that term beauty rest? It's not true. Um, because when I get up, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, what happened? And, you know, and then I have to work to become this beautiful again. And when you get to the point where that's not the important part, that's where God says, okay, I'm going to use this. This is what I'm going to use. When you're set free from 
you know, what I look like to others, you know. Uh, it's who I am. How can I impact someone else's life? That's what I think Saul is really doing. He's reaching people, not concerned about his own life at this point anymore. He's not thinking about the career path. He's not thinking, oh, I'm going to write one third of the New Testament. You know, that's my goal. No, he was just writing letters to the churches because he wanted to reach people. And he did it. He, he did it in a very simple way, just sharing the truth. We tend to think that we're in control of our jobs and our careers. And, and that, you know, if we're not giving them to God, we might be in control and they may be in trouble. So we should give control uh, of all of that to the Lord. You know, some start their own companies and they work, uh, you know, for a company. They hire people and that's their career. Then they hope to maybe give the company over to, uh, you know, a child. And, okay, you could take it over, son. This is your company and stuff like that. And, and that's their whole, that, that's their world's goal is to do that. Now, some work for a company for many years and then hope for a retirement and, and to be able to settle down and just relax for a number of years and just to have a, a, a good time and, and be, um, you know, comfortable. We can become prideful in that. Uh, we can become dependent on our goals that way. And just as Saul was broken, God wants to break us of relying on ourselves relying on our careers, relying on our education, relying on all of that, and relying to rely on him. That's really what he wants. Because once we rely on him, then we can be used by him for whatever his purposes are. If we're not relying on him, then we're doing things in our own power. You, you've heard of pastors, you, you know, there, I forget what the number is, over a thousand pastors a year step down from ministry. Uh, in the United States and it, because they get burned out and um, I can understand burnout I, I can understand what that is but I also know that I have a flame that won't burn out if I'm focused on who is giving me the power rather than doing things in my own power. We all do it. We all do things in our own power at times where we step out and say, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And then we get all tired and weary after doing it. And like, man, this isn't working out like I expected it to. You know, I, I wanted to, to do this and it's just not happening. Uh, it's not producing the fruit that I expected it to, to produce. Okay, so did you go to the Lord about that? You know, is that because, and Saul, we see as a picture when he becomes Paul and how in his ministries, his missionary journeys, he travels, it's always, all right, Lord, where do you want me to go? Sometimes the Holy Spirit said, don't go there. Don't go there. I want you to go here. And, and God opened up new doors, new opportunities. And he went and he took them. He went wherever the Lord. And because of that, he had a limo chariot. 
you know, just hanging out with the, with the boys on his chariot. No, that didn't happen. He was dragged out of cities and stoned to death. He was persecuted most of his life. Remember when the Lord was talking to Ananias, said, go, go to him because I'm going to show him what he must suffer for my name's sake. Hey, that wasn't just because he was a bad person and God was going to make him suffer. It's the fact that anyone that calls themselves a believer and puts Jesus Christ first in their lives are going to suffer. They're going to experience what the master suffers, but the servant doesn't suffer. We expect to be treated better. That's not reality. And Jesus said that. So we can trust that it's true because of what he said. So as Saul was broken, God wants to break us from relying on ourselves so that we can rely on him. That doesn't mean we have to give up everything to follow him. Oh, well, maybe it does. No, no, hold on. We don't, and I, wanna, I want you to be sure of this. We don't have to give up everything to follow him. We have to be willing to give up everything to follow him. You see, he knows our heart. If we're hanging on to stuff and then saying, oh, I want to follow you, Lord, but I've got this important meeting and I've got this going on. I got that going on. I have a three-week trip and I have to do this and that. Oh, well, you're not really following him. But if we're willing to follow him, the Lord isn't going to put us in a situation that's bad for us. Okay, you're willing to follow me? Okay, I want you to, you know, become a skydiver and, um, and without a parachute. You know, he's not going to do that to us. He is going to put us in the place that we can be used by him. And then we get blessed because we're being used by him. That's an amazing fact because I've seen it in my own life. And, you know, sometimes... It's like, man, can't you choose someone else to do this? You know, isn't there someone else available? No, he's going to use me. And Saul, verse 26, when he had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus the name of Jesus. See, the disciples didn't trust him at first when he came into Jerusalem. And that's okay that they didn't. You know, e even in a church, a body, when you have new people coming into the church, you always want to know that they believe in the same Jesus that you believe in, that we're teaching through the Bible. You want to know that there's not any strange doctrine that they bring. If they're here in the church with the New World Translation, I'm going to have some questions, Okay. That's the Jehovah Witness Bible for the, those of you that weren't aware. 
you know, there are some people that have different understandings of who Jesus is. It's not okay to have different understandings of who Jesus is. I'll just be clear about that. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the only begotten Son of God. So, if there are any Mormons in here, you know, we don't believe that. Okay? We believe Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and you're not God. If you are, please show me a miracle. That ain't happening. You can't just do that at the drop of a hat, right? But we know that Jesus is who he said he is. And other people claim him to be someone else. So we want to make sure that we're not getting someone coming into the camp with an unusual Jesus. They didn't know what Saul was bringing into the camp. They didn't know if he was going to come into the camp to kill the people that were in the camp. They didn't know if he was really just coming in as a spy so that he could figure out everything going on and then go and tell his Pharisee friends, hey, come and get them. Here they are. I can understand why they were nervous about this. Now I have a question. Why didn't Jesus tell them? Why didn't Jesus say, oh, hold on, this is Saul. He's cool. Bring him in, you know, and, and accept him into the fold. Why didn't he do that? Well, we don't hear that they asked Jesus. We don't hear that they went to the Lord and said, hey, is this Saul okay? Is he coming here to hurt us? And quite often what happens is we get caught in our comfort zone, you know, our prayer comfort zone, our church comfort zone, our potluck comfort zone, you know, and we're just trapped in the bubble, and sometimes we don't think outside the box. Thinking outside the box means, hey, Lord, this is something new. This is something different. How do we approach this? What, what do we do? And so Saul was coming into the camp, and they didn't know how to handle him at that point. But Barnabas stood up for him. Oh, yeah, it's okay. He's good. I saw him. I, I saw what he was doing. I saw the fruit of his ministry. When you see fruit in ministry, that's a good thing. Because now you can say, okay, I see. Now, fruit doesn't mean numbers, by the way. A, a lot of people get confused with that. Because if fruit was numbers, then there are a lot of ministries that are really fruitful. But really... It's rotten fruit that's growing on those trees. It's not healthy fruit. It's not something that people need to be taking in because it's just going to poison them. Unfortunately, that's a lot. So numbers don't indicate fruit. Fruit is when you see the work of God being worked out in the lives of people 
That's where the fruit is developed. If you're an evangelist, go out and evangelize. Go out and minister. Bring the word of God to people that need to hear it. Just go out and do it. But that doesn't necessarily mean you will see fruit from that. Jeremiah didn't see a lot of fruit. Didn't see any fruit. Okay, but he was still doing what he was told to do by God. When you do what you're going to do, you may not see the fruit, but the person that follows up after you may see the fruit. They may be the one watering, and then all of a sudden fruit starts to grow. And then someone comes along and harvests that fruit. Not even the person that planted, not even the person that watered, someone else comes along and harvests. I wanted a harvest. I wanted to be a harvester. You know, but no, you're just a planter, you're just a water. That's okay. Just go out and do whatever God puts you to do. He, he's going to give you the ability to do it, and he's going to lead you into those opportunities to be able to do that. The apostles were used to these false teachers and they looked at maybe Saul being a false teacher and they were just protecting themselves. But then he comes into the camp and he's going to be accepted by them. Verse 28, and so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and out and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And so here he is doing the work again. Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews, basically. So uh, you had the Hebrews who were Hebrew-speaking Jews, and then you had the Hellenists that were Greek-speaking Jews. Hellenists didn't really hang out in Jerusalem. Most of them spread out, and they were in the outlying areas. But then here are these Hellenists. They were, they were following Judaism. But they had a lot of the Greek culture that was adapted into their lives. And re remember, they were the ones that were complaining that they weren't getting the, the handouts from the apostles when all the things were being distributed back in Acts chapter 6. And so they were saying, hey, we are not getting our fair share um, of what was being... Those were Christian Hellenists, but... We're talking about Jewish Hellenists here. We're talking about those that are still following Judaism, that um, they were the ones that were looking to kill him. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, and they wanted to end Saul's teaching. And Saul thought his testimony was convincing enough because he was an enemy of Christ, and now all of a sudden he's a follower of Christ. So he thought that was enough. To, to bring his testimony, to, to speak. A testimony is good. And if you have a testimony that you can share with others, many may relate to your testimony. If you were formerly Catholic, I was raised Catholic, okay? And my testimony is, Jesus showed me what the Word of God actually says and, and took me out of religion and now placed me in a relationship with him. And so now I can go to other Catholics and I can sit and say, oh yeah, this is what you were taught. Here's what the Bible says. And I can share. Now, 
Some will be okay with that. Some will be like, you're out of your mind. You know, you're not a priest. Where's your, where's your, where's your collar? You don't have the credentials. You haven't gone through all of the religious teaching that my priest has gone through. You mean Jesus was his teacher? That's my teacher. So, hey, we went through the same. And no, we didn't. You see, there are lots of people that go through religious training and they learn about religious systems and then they learn how to apply their religious system to the world and, and indoctrinate people into their religion. But that's not what Jesus is about. He's about a relationship. It's completely different and people are confused. But he was trying to set them free. You see, 1 Corinthians 1.18, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those that perish. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, and, but if you explain that to someone that is perishing, they don't get it. Because the word of God is still foolishness to those that perish. No matter how much you read it to them. It has to be the Holy Spirit that sparks something inside of them. That draws them into the truth. It has to be the Holy Spirit. So that's part of evangelism is praying that the Holy Spirit starts speaking to someone. If you know you're going to be meeting with a friend that's unsaved and, and just go have lunch or something like that, start praying for the Holy Spirit to be working in their lives so that when you get to the restaurant, you're sitting down with them, they will ask you. You don't have to start preaching to them. They'll ask you. Hey, what do, you, what do you think about all this going on in the world? You know, what is God out of touch with what's happening here? You know, because I know that you believe in God. So, can, oh, oh, I can tell you. I can tell you. You're going to hell. I'm kidding. Don't say that. Okay? They need to know about the love of God first. They need to know the promises of God, the, the, the thing that's going to save them out of the world. Everyone's going to hell without the Lord. And, and so we don't have to go and try to condemn them. They're already condemned. But because of the fact that we have the answer to save them, that's the love of God. We can share that with them. And that's, a, that's what people are looking for. Good news. That's what gospel means. Good news. We've got it. We can share it with them. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So they found out the Hellenists wanted to kill him. Here's an, he's really doing good in ministry, isn't he? You know, starts off in ministry, they want to kill him. Goes to Jerusalem, they want to kill him. The apostles had been there for years. And they weren't trying to kill the apostles, but Saul, they're trying to kill because he was a traitor. You see, he was a Pharisee that left behind the, the law. He left behind their religious system. And now he's in their face 
luring away the very people that he was leading years earlier. Luring the people to the truth away from the legal system that had them trapped for so long. And he was being effective. So, of course, if you're effective, then they want to kill you. So that's what we have to look forward to. Uh, we close considering the new Saul. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed forever. Has your journey been interrupted by Jesus? That's an important question. We have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus say to me back then when my life changed? And how have I been doing since then? I mean, I, I look at my own life and I say, okay, where have I gone with what I have been given? What have I done with the riches that I've been provided? How effective have I been for the purposes of the Lord? He wants to make things happen that I get in the way. And I stop them from happening because of me getting in the way. And so in the days that we live in, I mean, this is the time for us to shine. We have an opportunity in the world right now that's so dark, a little flame shines in the darkness. Uh, you, in a dark room, you light one little candle and everyone sees, looks right at the candle. It's our moment to shine because the world is so dark today. Amen. Amen. 